All right, so you can turn in your copy of the scriptures to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. We'll cover the whole chapter this evening. So, um, at my job, State Employees Credit Union, um, I used to work this report over unclaimed assets, unclaimed accounts, where basically they've sat dormant for five years. And, and so, you know, if you may not know this, but um, if you don't touch your account at all for five years, then it gets turned over to the state of North Carolina. And so I would work this report trying to get in touch with people. If we had a good phone number, trying to let them know, hey, you got some money in this account, you know, don't let it be turned over to the state. Just let me, all you got to do is just give me your word that you want to keep the account active, and then I can pop it back into an active status, and it, it doesn't get turned over to the state. Um, but, you know, it's not all bad if, if that happens. Um, some of you may know this, but if it does get turned over to the state, uh, there's a website that you can go on to. Um, I forget what it is, but um, something like unclaimedproperty.nc.gov, something along those lines. But you can go on this website, and you can see if you have any unclaimed assets that have been turned over or being held by the state of North Carolina. And so I, once I learned about this site, I naturally went on there and typed in my name and was looking to see if I had any uh, money that had, I had somehow had forgotten about, I knew that was a pretty low chance that I had forgotten that I had some, some money. Most of the time, people just had like $25 at minimum in the account. But every now and then, you'd have someone who had a few hundred dollars and like, I know I didn't forget a few hundred dollars, but let's just double check. Maybe I forgot 25. Um, but anyway, I, my name was not on there. So like, well, this isn't exciting. So then I started typing in my wife's name. And I started typing in my mom and my dad and my sister's name. And pretty soon, I'm not getting anywhere, and I'm like, so I'm going to start typing in my friend's names. Because you can just type in anybody's name, and it'll just pop up there. And so I don't know if you remember this, Andrew, but I typed in Andrew's name, and it came up. It, it'll say whether it has more or less than 500. It won't tell you the exact amount. And, I, and it came up, Andrew Liggett. Oh, really? Okay, no. So it said Andrew Liggett, Greensboro, North Carolina, less than $500. And I knew Andrew had went to school at UNCG, and so I, I emailed Andrew from work, and I'm like, Hey man, I know this seems really weird and random, but you got—I think you got some unclaimed money that you might have left behind in Greensboro, and I'm sure he thought it was totally weird. Did you ever follow up on it? You didn't. You should go to that website. <laughs> I mean, you might have $499, man. I mean, just—we'll take it as a church. I mean, just just go check it out. It'd be a great donation. What'd you say? Okay, yes. Uh, just just Google like unclaimed property, North Carolina, state of North Carolina, but. All you guys are going to be going home checking tonight. See, did I forget some money? Yes. Who? Care Bows. Better claim that. Care, where's Funky at? Better claim that. It's just out there. That's yours. Go get it. So, I, But that just makes me think about what is ours in Christ that we're not even laying hold to. Imagine being left this great inheritance and not even tapping into it, scoffing at it even, trying to do it on your own, maybe out of pride, maybe, maybe out of ignorance. You, you, you don't lay hold to that which is yours. And we're going to see uh, Ruth tonight laying hold of, of something which is hers, and, and we're going to talk tonight about us laying hold of that which is ours in Christ. So let's Let's go to the Lord in, in prayer and ask him, ask him to help us. 
Father, um, my prayer is that we would see with spiritual eyes tonight, that we would see Jesus in all his riches of kindness and glory and grace and goodness and righteousness and help and peace and joy, just calling out to us to come to him and that we would go. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, Ruth chapter 3, to, to, you know, if it's your first time joining us or just to catch you up to speed where we left off last week is that Boaz had been very generous and kind to Ruth. He had blessed her with much provision as she had been working out in his field gleaning. And uh, as she comes home with this generous provision to Naomi, Naomi uh, says to her in chapter 2, she says, where did you glean today? And, and she, and, uh, you know, blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so um, Ruth explains it's in the field of this man named, this very generous man named Boaz. And Naomi is, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And she makes note as well that this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And, and we see in this moment, it's re- you know, we've been following Naomi's story. It started out, she was just hopeless and destitute. And at the beginning of the story, she had, her and her family had run from the Lord. They had, they had left the promised land, left the, the land of covenant promise. And, um, and then as they experienced tragedy, uh, Naomi comes back and, and she's just, she's bitter even over um, her treatment from, from the Lord. But now we see hope awakening in her as she has experienced this kindness from Boaz. She, and she receives it as a kindness from, not only from Boaz, but a kindness from the Lord. And as hope has been awakened in her, as her, as her mind now is, is, is keen again and it's strategizing, and we're going to see her uh, cooking up this, this strategy in, in, um, in Ruth chapter 3. So we're going to read the whole chapter. You can follow along in your copy of the scriptures, or if you don't have that with you, it should be up on the screen here behind me. But Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I, Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. 
lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the manor today. So if I can begin by giving... um, some explanations, some commentary of, of, on what's going on here and pointing out a few observations and, uh, before we get to the exhortation. But um, at the beginning here, we have Naomi, her mind now keen, hope awakened in her, um, her strategizing, her giving this plan to, to Ruth. And, and what, is, what is the plan? What is she going after? She says, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? She is Seeking rest for Ruth. And her, as, you know, when she was in her depression, she could only think about herself. She could only think about her sad lot. Wasn't even thankful for Ruth with her. Now, as hope is, is awakened in her by the Lord's kindness, she is considering Ruth and seeking rest. Seeking, liter- the word is literally security. She's seeking a husband for Ruth. Because we know that a, a woman in that day, as a widow, would have just com- been completely destitute um, on her own. And so she's seeking rest, seeking security, seeking a husband, um, in, in, namely in Boaz, a kinsman redeemer. And, and so the plan being, uh, he's, he's going to be at the threshing floor. Now what, what they would do is, um, the, this had been the barley harvest, and so at the end of the harvest, they would go up to this, this public place, the threshing floor at the top of the hill, and they would wait till evening because that's when the wind would, 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 would generally pick up in that area. And they'd take these winnowing forks and they'd throw the grain up into the air. And, and the, the chaff, the, you know, the stuff that was of no substance, just the, the flaky stuff, would blow away in the wind. And the good stuff would fall back down. And, and, um, and so they, they, you know, they did this in the evening. And it was a great time of celebration as Boaz and his, and his men, his workers... Um, people from the community, they were, they were celebrating the Lord's goodness to them uh, under the stars. Um, God has been kind bringing the harvest. And so it was a time of, of eating and drinking and, and, and being merry, giving thanks, a time of celebration and doing this as a group. And so um, Naomi, knowing that Boaz is going to be there, tells Ruth to, um, to get fresh, tells her to to, um, to, you know, to wash herself, to anoint herself, put on oil, perfume, uh, to put on her, her nice cloak, um, her cloak to keep her warm. Um, and, and basically, Ruth was here laying aside her widow's garments, laying aside her widow's garments and, 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 and dressing in a, in a self-respecting way like she's pursuing a husband. And the plan is is to, uh, once Boaz lays down, and what they would do is there would be this heap of grain uh, that they had, they had winnowed out, and then all the men would lay in a, in a circle around it, guarding it, and so she is um, you know, told to uncover his feet so that he'd be cold, he'd be stirring in the middle of the night, and, and they could, um, she could make this proposal to him then. Some would say, um, let's just go ahead and get this out there, some would say that there's something of, 
um, disrepute is going on here. But the, the evidence is too, there's no evidence for that. Instead, the evidence is all to the contrary. We have two righteous people here. Man, uh, Boaz is called a man of valor. Ruth here is called a, um, a worthy woman. Uh, Proverbs 31, a, war, a woman of excellence, um, the same term. And we've seen that righteousness. And, then, and he is, she is laying literally at his feet. And that's what the term says. It's a geographic term, not a euphemism for anything. But she lays at his feet. Um, and so what, but, so if the, what you may wonder is, why is Naomi planning this way? Is she suggesting that there be something, something dirty going on? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, what we do know, um, or what, we, what may be what happening here is that Naomi is cooking up a plan where Ruth could make this proposal and no one else be aware of it. Because we've got to remember that, that Ruth is a Moabite. She's a person of no status, asking this man of great status to be her husband. And it's also removing public pressure from Boaz to, to say yes. Um, this, the way one commentator puts it, this plan nicely balances audacity and restraint and is designed to leave Boaz in no doubt about what is being asked of him without forcing his hand by entrapment. So the, the pressure is off. No one else knows about this meeting. It's also okay to say we're not sure why Naomi would plan it this way, but what we can say is that Naomi's strategy has a potential for disaster. <laughs> Naomi's strategy has a potential for disaster. There's a potential here for sexual abuse. That was rampant during this time of the judges. There's a potential even for misinterpretation by Boaz, leading him into this, to an unrighteous response. Naomi's strategy has potential for disaster, but Naomi confidently wagers on the character of Boaz. She is trusting that Boaz is a righteous man, and, and she puts all faith in, in Boaz knowing the right thing to do. And she says that to Ruth in verse 4. She says, he will tell you what to do. He will do the right thing, and he will do it in the right way. Even if the answer is no, he will convey that with dignity. And so after dinner, the men, like I said, they were laying in this circle, and, and Boaz has laid down, and then Ruth comes softly, and she lays at his feet, which would have been the position of a servant, to lay at someone's feet, ready for, for the command. And she, she lays at his feet, and she makes the proposal. And as, it, as he stirs, as his feet get cold in the middle of the night, um, she says to him, spread your wings over your servant. Now, we've heard that once before. Um, in, the, in the previous chapter, in chapter 2, uh, Boaz had commended her for uh, just giving up everything to, to follow the Lord and, and to, to come and find refuge in him. And he, he had said to her, he said, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And he's speaking of Ruth's seeking refuge in the Lord. And Ruth uses the same language here, language which Boaz would have surely picked up on. And it's the language of, of marriage. We see God using this language in Ezekiel 16, talking about his marriage to his people Israel. And she makes the claim that Boaz is her 
Redeemer. Now, the, the Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer, to give you some background there, I won't, I won't read to you from, from Deuteronomy 25, but I'll just sum it up. Um, well, let's read it. Let's read it together. Deuteronomy 25, it's up on your screen. If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to, to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him, and if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. And so it was God's provision for widows, for, for the name of, of, a, of a man, of, of this dead brother, to have his name perpetuated, to have his lineage continued, to keep property in the family. And it was a kindness and, and built into God's law. And it was, as you see, a great shame if someone refused uh, to, to, to do that duty. Um, and so you see there that they, they did have a choice. But, um, but notice here in God's law that God's law makes provision for a kinsman redeemer. God's law makes provision for a kinsman redeemer, yet Ruth must lay claim to that redeemer. Ruth must lay claim to that redeemer. And we see Ruth here being both humble and bold in her seeking. What inspires such boldness? We, we saw in, in the last chapter, uh, a couple passages ago, that, that Ruth understands God's grace. She, under, she, ex, she has received from the Lord. She knows the Lord to be good. She understands his generosity and kindness. And having received good from him, she expects to continue receiving good from him. And so she's so bold as to go up to the workers and say, I want to glean among the workers, not just pick from, from, from the little bits that have fallen. I want to, I want to glean among the workers. And, and we see she's tasted and seen the Lord's goodness, and she's bold, expecting to receive more of God's grace. Um, it's what inspired her boldness before, and it's what inspires her boldness here. Notice that Ruth has a high estimation of God's grace and Boaz's character. She has a high estimation of God's grace and Boaz's character. Um, one commentator, Daniel Block, highlights the contrast in their status here. And just, just look at this. Ruth was a servant making this proposal to her boss. Ruth was a, a Moabite, a foreigner, an outsider, making this proposal to an Israelite. She was a woman making this proposal to a man. She was poor, making a proposal to the wealthy. So how will Boaz respond? Boaz is pleased with, pleased with her coming. He is, um, obviously Ruth is attractive to him. He, he commends her look, saying that you could have gone after any, any young men that you wanted. 
Uh, but, but more than that, he is attracted to her character, calling her a worthy woman. Again, a um, same term in Proverbs 31, a woman of excellence, an excellent wife who can find. Uh, and he calls this a kindness on Ruth's part, a kindness not only to himself, but, but a kindness to Naomi, seeing in Ruth that she's seeking security for Naomi as well, and he, he commends that. Boaz is aware that he is a redeemer, but there is another who is a closer relative than him. Uh, that passage we read from Deuteronomy made provision for a brother, but if there was no brother, then it would be the next closest in, in, in relation. And so Boaz is aware that there is another who is of closer kin than he is, and so Boaz here doing the right thing and in the right way. And he gives her this assurance that, um, you know, in the morning he tells his he tells his men not to, not to tell her being there, likely for propriety's sake, but also not to allow this other redeemer to think that he's trying to sidestep him and, and step over what, what is his right before it's Boaz's. And it says that he loads her cloak up with grain. It literally says he puts it on her. He made it put it on her head, on her back, um, put, it, put it over her back. Six, six measures of barley this was, and it would have been about 60 or 90 pounds. 60 or 90 pounds of grain that he puts on, on, on little Ruth. Could you imagine if we, you know, if we responded to marriage proposals in that way? You know, if like Christina had said yes, and all of a sudden I load her down with 90 pounds that she needs to walk through the city with. Uh, it'd be a little strange, but, uh, but that's, that's what he does here. And so um, glad we don't respond to that, that way today. But w- so why, why would he do it this way? Why does he load her down in that way? Well, notice as, as, um, as she comes home, Naomi asked her, said, how did you fare, my daughter? Literally, the, the translation is, who are you, my daughter? And it's not that she wouldn't have recognized her, her daughter-in-law who lived with her and wouldn't have recognized her silhouette in the morning hours. It, she's asking, what is your status? Who are you? Did he say yes? Has your status changed? Are you, are you married now? Um, are you going to be married? Um, as he accepted the proposal. And notice Ruth's response, the detail that she adds here about this barley. It says she, she told the man all that he had done for her, in verse 17, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And so uh, Tony Marita tells us at least three, reason, three reasons for this generous provision of food from Boaz. One is that it was a, a means of basic provision for two two destitute widows. Boaz is generously providing for them, as he has been throughout this story. Uh, it also may have explained why Ruth was at Boaz's threshing floor in case, in case someone saw her um, walking away, uh, saw, in case someone saw her leaving. But most significantly, this was a, a symbolic provision. It was a message to Naomi that not only is he taking Ruth in to provide for her and to give her rest and security, but he's going to take care of Naomi as well. He's going to take care of his mother-in-law. And he symbolizes that with this extravagant gift. Um, Naomi replies, and she says, says, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And just as this chapter began with a seeking of rest, it ends on a note of resting in another's seeking. So this, this beautiful story, this beautiful love story, but what is the point of all this? Why is this in the scriptures? Why does 
does, does God give this to us? Are, are we to glean from this a strategy for pursuing godly husbands? <laughs> is, is, is it that, you know, if the point that you get from this is that, that ladies, is that you should strategically put yourself in potentially compromising situations in order to gain a righteous man, you have not read the scriptures well, okay? We, we have, you've missed the point of this passage. You have, you have missed the, the larger context. This, this is a beautiful story between two, beautiful love story between two righteous people. But more than that, this is a story of the Lord's kindness, uh, of his has said, the, the Hebrew word, his, his faithful love to his people, even the, the bitter and the destitute Naomi, and, and, and including us. Uh, remember that this story, the author helps us here to, to give us the, the larger picture. Remember that this that Ruth ends with a genealogy of King David pointing forward to the Messiah. This is the story of Ruth and Boaz, but it's also the story of us and Christ. As Tim Keller puts it, Christ is the truer and greater Boaz that we long for. Christ is the truer and greater Boaz that we long for. Boaz, he's a type, or he's a a picture, a prefiguring of Christ. Just consider these similarities between Boaz and Christ. Christ, like Boaz, had a merry heart of gratitude. We see that attitude in him in Scripture. Christ, like Boaz, lived a righteous life. His his righteous life to perfection. And he was of good repute among both God and men. Christ is our Redeemer. He has spread his wings over us as our refuge, and he spread his wings over us in covenant marriage, taking on all that is ours and bestowing to us all that is his in a lifelong commitment, lifelong covenant. Like Boaz, Christ is pleased by our devotion and our seeking after him. Though like Ruth, we are of far lesser status. And like Boaz at the end of the story, Christ is even now working on our behalf, preparing a place for us, preparing a home for us, and we can rest in that. Like Boaz, he is generous to assure us of his working as Christ gives us the Holy Spirit as a generous down payment of of the inheritance of, of all that is to come. And like Boaz is for Ruth and Naomi, Christ is the completion, the satisfaction of all that we long for. He is the satisfaction of our long, hard, and at times very miserable journey of seeking after rest. Christ is the truer and greater Boaz with one major difference. Ruth was regarded as a worthy woman, a woman of excellence, a woman of virtue, an excellent wife, who can find? And Boaz was pursued by this worthy woman. But we are miserably unlike Ruth in this regard. We are more like Israel, who has played the harlot under every tree, having devoted ourselves to care of self rather rather than the Lord, rather than the good of others. We have run after other gods. But Christ, as the better Boaz... He loves us when we are unworthy. Christ did not wait until the worthy woman pursued him. But the scripture says that 
um, while we were still sinners, while we were still ugly in our sin, while we were still unfaithful and indifferent to Him, that Christ died for sinners. He died for the ungodly. And so how do we respond to that grace, to that generosity, to that kindness, to that seeking after us when we are unworthy? We should go to Him. We should go to Christ, just as Ruth goes to Boaz to lay hold of that which is hers, that which is is generously provided, we should go to Christ. We should go to Christ for our own care. I I was telling someone recently about how the, the, the Bible is a story that's meant to be read over and over again, and as we read the Bible over and over again, that we realize that um, that this is a story that that um as we come to understand this story, we realize that we are, are reading a story that we're also involved in. We're part of this story. And we are Ruth in this story. We are the helpless widow. We are the foreigner, the outsider. We are the destitute one. We are the poor. We are spiritually improv- impoverished. We are alone. Just as the widow was left alone, we are alone and without God in the world. And yet Christ makes payment for our debt. And not only does he rescue us out of spiritual poverty, but he brings us into his own family, and he gives us an inheritance. He makes us a part of the family line, and he gives us hope. He makes us part of something bigger than ourselves and our generation. Do you know your need today? Do you know your spiritual poverty? Do you know your your destituteness, your, your aloneness apart from him? Psalm 145 that we read, I didn't, didn't even realize this until this morning, uh, that when it says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. That, that word near is the same word that's used of the closeness of a, of a, of a close relative, of a kinsman redeemer. Christ, the, the Lord, is near. He is there as our Redeemer. He is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Likewise, we should, we should go to Christ for the welfare of others. We should go to Him for, for our own care, yes, but also for, for the welfare of others, just as Ruth goes to Boaz for the care of Naomi. You know, we should go to Christ seeking His grace, His strength, His, His help to help others with. We should seek to be vehicles of the Lord's kindness to others, and we should, we should go to Christ toward that end. And in that umbrella, we should go to Christ with strategic risk for the glory of God, dependent upon His goodness and character alone. Just as Naomi's strategic plan was totally dependent on Boaz's righteousness, on Boaz's character, um, so we should, we should go, um, go to Christ with strategic risk for His glory, dependent upon His goodness and character alone. Let me ask you, has... Has the Lord given you big dreams? Big dreams of doing good for others. Big dreams of, ban- of, of bringing glory to His name and blessing many people. Has the Lord given you God-sized dreams that only He could accomplish? That the only way that they'd be accomplished is if, if He gets involved and He does them. We, we, should, we should go to Christ. We should go to Him for that. Don't be discouraged as you stare up at the mountain of all that would have to happen in order to make it happen. But we should take risk for others, for the glory of God, inspired by confidence in the generous grace of God. 
Listen to me here. Let me put it to you this way. We should seek to do things that can only be done if God does them. We should seek to do things that can only be done if God does them. As, um, as William Carey put it, as I've, as I've shared with you before, uh, we should expect expecting great things from God. We should attempt great things for God. Expecting Christ to be gracious, to be generous, to save, to be kind, to be merciful, all-powerful and good. We should go to Christ and with Christ into the world in partnership to accomplish great things for Christ. And, and what I love about William Carey is that he, uh, he didn't just speak this, he didn't just catalyze others into doing this, but he, he, he lived that, that he, he, he went as a missionary to India and he started schools and he translated scripture and he, and he, and he, um, tra- he started Bible societies for reaching the lost and building up the young Indian church for the glory of God. And, and your calling is not the same as William Carey's, amen? But we should go to him with expectancy and surrender. Praying, your kingdom come. God, do great things through us. Your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God may be pleased to accomplish your dream, but it may be, may be through your death, maybe after your death. But would you go to him? Don't be discouraged. As you, as, don't try to do it on your own. But, but with strategic risk, with confidence in His grace, go to Him for the good of others and His glory. So whether for yourself or for others or for all of the above, what holds you back from going to Christ? What holds you back from going to Christ? Do you despise the riches and kindness of His grace? Do you see Him with outstretched arms just as He as he had outstretched arms over Jerusalem, saying, Jerusalem to Jerusalem, the city that stones the prophets and, and kills those who are sent to her. How I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Israel rejected the Lord as he offered to spread his wings out over, over her. May we not make the same grave error. Are you willing to go to Christ? I um, I like this band um, called Need to Breathe, and I just it's all caps. Need to breathe is one word, and I was just curious recently why why they have that that tight. I mean, why, where do you get that weird name from, for a band from? And there's a story from, of of Socrates, uh, the philosopher, Greek philosopher, and um, and he uh, one of his students asked him, "When will I know whether I'm seeking after wisdom or not?" And apparently they were by a lake or something because he takes the young man and he holds his head under the water and, and until the man starts, you know, trying to, to violently come back up and, then he, and he finally lets the man up and he says, you will know that you're seeking after wisdom when you seek it like the air you need to breathe. And the band said, we, we thought that that should be a picture of our seeking after God. That we'll know that we're seeking after God when we're seeking Him like the air that we need to breathe? Are you seeking after the Lord Jesus? Do you see him with outstretched wings, ready to give you generously his grace? Let's pray. Lord, I I feel I fail to do your grace justice. I fail to do your provision justice. Lord, 
May we not despise the riches and the generosity of your kindness, of your grace, and your, your mercy, your compassion towards us. Lord, what grace you would pour out towards us if we would come. Lord, whatever hinders us from coming this evening, would you remove it? Would you show us the folly of it? And may we come to you. May we come to you for our own refreshment, our own, out of our own thirst, out of our own poverty. And may we come to you out of the poverty of others, Lord, longing that others would taste and see that you are good as well. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.